0: the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, this is uh, the, uh, the unbelievably, I don't know, most incredible uh, what you need to know I've ever done. Um, it is, uh, as I am actually recording this ahead of time uh, because of a lot of things that are going on. And it's, um well, it's Friday, June 24th when I'm recording this. And just a few hours ago, the United States Supreme Court uh, reversed 50 years of really terrible law and the terrible law was basically they made up a way to protect uh abortion from the federal level they just made it up um they made it up and they created a kind of uh right to privacy that there was something out there in cases before and then they uh you know bootstrapped on other things and they just pronounced this and for 50 years america has been under the scourge of our law protecting abortion as a Fundamental right, basically, you know, it was terrible. So it was reversed and it was reversed by a five to four opinion with Justice Alito, as we sort of knew was happening, um, in charge. Uh, I mean, writing the uh, opinion and it's an extraordinary opinion basically says, look, um, there, that was made up. Uh, the decision was made up and we're not going to do that. And at the end of the decision, uh, Justice Alito says a kind of phrase, uh, that was really w- well done. He basically p- points everyone back to, um, the fact that The um, decision, it it doesn't it it does take away this fundamental right that was made up, but it also uh, puts in place the idea that it's um, it's uh, going to be uh, back to the states and to the people. I'm trying to find the exact language. Um, Here it is. Uh, The Constitution does not confer a right to abortion. Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood of, of, of Pennsylvania versus Casey are overruled. The authority to regulate abortion is returned to the people and their elected representatives. That was always a point that the late Justice Scalia would make. He'd say, when you look at the Constitution, there's no right to abortion in the Constitution. And so he he also would say that there's no prohibition on abortion there. Now, I would argue that there's a prohibition on killing, but I mean, we can talk about that. But he would say this this whole thing, the idea of taking the abortion debate out of the people's hands and putting it into a made up right of Roe v. Wade was wrong, wrong decision. And so that's what uh, that's what Alito says. It goes back to the states and immediately in the states, to their credit, attorney general of Missouri, Eric Schmidt, signed the trigger law. There's a trigger law that Missouri passed legislature passed that says, hey, if Roe v. Wade is ever reversed, we ban abortion. And he signed it. He said, I'm enforcing that right now. So what you're going to see is a spirited conversation, debate, and probably legal back and forth, both legislatively and otherwise, to say, what is your community going to do? Say your state, but generally it'll be state driven. But what are you going to do if you want to live in a place where they have abortion on demand? It looks like that's California or New York or New Jersey, maybe. But if you want to live in a place that has um, a ban on abortion, there's going to be places like that in Missouri and otherwise. But um, it's an extraordinary thing. And let me just uh, pause and say, you know, for for the better part of 25 years, I've been involved in the pro-life efforts. I've been litigating cases as an attorney. I've been part of you know prayer movements. I've been part of policy. I did a stint at Americans United for Life, which is a pro-life is a pro-life organization, kind of a legal entity um, that does lots of litigation, but also strategy. And I, I, in some ways, I never thought today would come, be honest. I think a lot of us thought down the road someday. And but here's what occurred. What occurred in this country in the last five years, two things, two things happened really last six years. Number one is there was a growing consensus that abortion was wrong in more and more ways. So how did that happen? Well, the heartbeat bills, people going around saying, listen, for a heartbeat, that shit tells you something. The technology of 3D uh, sonograms and, and uh, the technology where you can see what's going on here had more and more people saying, wait a second, don't just tell me it's a choice or a clump of cells. Let's talk about this. We had smarter people at the same time making sure that there was conversations about the woman, not just about the abortion not just about the baby i think of my friend bridget van means uh who is uh, so good at thrive nation on this topic anyway oh, those that's one whole category of what happened in the last six years it's been a sea change and there's people that deserve credit for that um our organization the Legal, legals played a role but the big person was janet porter who led the pro uh the, the heartbeat bill congressman steve king at the federal level and then across the country ohio missouri oklahoma different states where state leaders said yeah yeah i'm going to take that up That made a huge difference in changing the way people were thinking about abortion, because at the end of the day, it still is a even though the Supreme Court makes its decision, it still happens in American life, which means politics, too. The second thing that occurred was the 2016 election. When history is written, and I intend to write part of that history, it will write that 2016 was a pivot year. Now, why? Around the same time that Donald Trump was securing the nomination and beating all of the Republican establishment poobah's choices, you know, Scott Walker was out, Jeb Bush was out, even Ted Cruz or a I minute mean, was it looked like he was going to be the guy that united them. Even he was out. What you need to know is Donald Trump was securing the nomination in March, in 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 April, maybe early April, but just weeks before that, just as Antonin Scalia passed away. Suddenly, in terms of what we saw, I think he had had some illnesses in the past, but he was, he was, when, he, when he died, the thought was, well, Obama's got a chance to pick. And, he, yeah, he's got a Republican Senate, but he could pick somebody they'll take. Can't he work his way through? You know, Clinton did that. And in 2016, Mitch McConnell, to his everlasting credit, Mitch McConnell said, I will not even consider a replacement. Not Merrick Garland, not anybody else. That's what he did. And so the 2016 election became about who picked Scalia's replacement. And I will maintain till to my till the end of time that it was a big factor in assuring conservatives, Christian conservatives, Protestant conservatives, evangelical conservatives, Jewish conservatives, Catholic conservatives, ensuring that they understood what was at stake. And so Trump won and Trump ran on appointing good judges. And he picked really good judges and ultimately because of fate and faith he ended up with three picks including replacing ruth bader ginsburg and that's it so those two things that happened those two uh kind of side-by-side tracks of things going on in the last six years transformed the environment Heartbeat bills, technology, young people, students for life. Kristen Hawkins deserves a lot of credit. Lots of people saying, hey, wait a second. It's not a clump of cells. It's not just a choice. What's going on here? And that made it made the ground more fertile. And then at the same time, we had Trump winning and Trump being fearlessly pro-life, confidently pro-life. And all those things moved along, even if we didn't defund Planned Parenthood because Paul Ryan as speaker couldn't get it done. Even if we didn't do some of the things we wanted to do in terms of pro-life, we were building the case, building the thing and working right. And ultimately, we got to the point where the Supreme Court was conservative. And then so the final thing, what you need to know, those are the two key things, right? Two key things is the last six years have changed the way we saw abortion heartbeat bill others. Second one is the politics and the leadership had this extraordinary pivot in 16 where, where between McConnell not picking, not allowing a Scalia replacement to be considered and Trump winning. And then on forward into today. And, and then we had courage among these justices to do the right thing. Alito, Thomas, Kavanaugh, Gorsuch, Coney Barrett. Extraordinary courage. I mean, I know that's what they said they were all their life. That's who they said they were. And they said, why and all? But you still have to do it. And I hate to be too cynical, but, you know, Chief Justice Roberts was supposed to be great conservative when he got into office. He's not quite as fearless. He plays a shorter game. You know, he's playing a game about the institution, it feels like, instead of about these truths. Extraordinary, extraordinary. And so um, really um, uh, amazing to, to see. And what you need to know is it's a historic day, historic day. Um, and there will probably be violence in certain cities tonight. There'll probably be some kind of. Um, I, I saw one of the AP stories that covered it. The third paragraph down said this decision will disproportionately affect minorities. I don't know how they. I don't know how they with a straight face they write that. They must. have Someone must have published a study that said that. But how? Do they mean that it'll disproportionately affect uh, minority women that want abortion, or they mean that minority babies that won't be killed? Anyway, it was, it's, it's amazing. We'll be, we'll, be, we'll be watching distortions. We'll be watching all kinds of things happening. But the history will show that America took off its shoulders. This yoke, this yoke of, of, of abortion that for 50 years was protected under the law. That was terrible. All right. We've got to go. We've got to go. We've got a great show again. I've got some guests uh, we'll cover, but this was the main thrust of it. And uh, I hope you will be paying attention to uh, all these important things and keep praying. We'll be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. <laughs> Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Uh, one of the really um, beneficial things that happens w- with this uh, show is I've developed relationships, friendships, professional relationships with some people who are out there doing good work. One of them is Michael Volpe, and Michael Volpe has got a Substack over at michaelvolpe.substack.com. And he'll send me stuff. And he's, he's got lots of incredible research he's been doing. And, and uh, in particular, he's in the uh, target area, shall I say, of the abuses that happen to our families and especially in family courts, which was something that the late Phyllis Schlafly wrote about and cared a lot about. And so do I. And so he sent me something this week. and said on the trans issue is coming to family court. And I thought, boy, I got to get on with Michael. So welcome back, Michael. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Good. So first of all, um, a broad question, the family court system, you've now done investigative work uh, in lots of aspects. And we've talked about some of them. Is, is it getting better anywhere? Meaning as the lights have shined on the family court system and the abuses that have happened, is there anywhere you'd point and say, aha, they really have figured it out in this place and they're being responsible?
2: It, I don't think they figured it out anywhere, but it's definitely getting better. I, wrote our, I don't know how many months ago I found at least four laws or potential laws that have been introduced in four different states uh, based on either children or, one case, Jennifer's Law out of Connecticut, a woman who was killed, Who laws that are trying to reform the system based on tragedy. There's a lot of problems with all of those laws, but there's several laws about uh, putting jury trials for these kinds of child custody and CPS issues. There seems to be laws, not necessarily good laws, but I think that's the evolution. Uh, but laws are starting to pop up you're seeing an, a lot more coverage of it. There were, There's a case out of Louisiana that's receiving international attention where a woman was definitely statutory raped because she was 16, had a child, and more recently the, the judge in Louisiana gave the child to the rapist and ordered her to pay child support. This received international coverage just in the last few days. The judge reversed his decision. So I, I, I don't think that story even gets coverage a few yeah. years Right along that that it, it just it led to the the conclusion you hope these things lead to, so yeah, I think things are getting better
1: well it, it's certainly sun sunshine right, sunlight on things gives us a chance to say, "Wait a second, somebody rethink that. I mean, when it was done in the dark of a of a family court uh, room, and nobody knew you know nobody could know you couldn 't even object, you might try to appeal or something, so that part of it is extraordinary, so right, let 's move uh, on to this though, the transgender debate um. Tell me this example. The one I'm looking at, by the way, is um, Kane County, Illinois. Is that, is that the one that uh, you, you pointed me to? Because that's what I found. Out. Where I got it, Michael Volpe, V-O-L-P-E uh, dot Substack dot com. Um, uh, but anyway, tell me how this uh, how the issue of trans uh, is coming out. Oh, sorry, there's one. I'm sorry, I see now. The California article, I have it up here, too, is uh, a little bit more recent. Tell us about this situation.
2: So I, I've, I've covered two cases where the trans issue go bleeds into family court and I'll just quickly go through both of them. So Kane County, I just found it by accident. I was actually listening in on, on a, a slate of hearings for one judge and for another case. And this case comes up. All I know is the last name is Murphy. And the first person to speak is the garden at Lightham. then you heard from the lawyers from both sides. And to summarize the case, there's two kids, one boy, one girl, they both want to transition. At least one of them uh, has tried to commit suicide and no one has any answers. The Guardian at Lightham is blaming two other court-appointed therapists or psychologists or psychiatrists or whatever, saying that they're blaming each other. And what's the solution? They now want to appoint a custody evaluator. And uh, during the hearing, dad's lawyer, and dad is blaming mom for the gender dysphoria, I think is the term for it. Right. He's the one supporting this evaluator. And this is the scam in family court. What family court does is they try to find any problem. Any problem will do. Sometimes it's a problem they create or contribute to, other times they just create one out of thin air. What's the solution? Always to appoint someone, what they're not saying is this court appointee, this evaluator will charge hundreds of dollars an hour, just like the two therapists have, just like the garden at Lightham has. no one seems to have a clue, and yet what they want to do is put some someone else in the second one, Kristen Haynes versus Mikhail Benduan that's out of San Francisco county, and uh so kristen and and Mikhail went out for a little while Mikhail, I don't know what the term for it is was born a woman has a prosthetic, identifies as a man, uh, whatever is the appropriate term for that. He was listed as dad on the birth certificate, obviously not the biological dad, had a little bit of a relationship with this girl. He, starting, I think, in the year 2015 or 2016, had an aggressive legal strategy in the court. And then March of 2022, he had the girl for the scheduled custody time, refused to bring her back, and said so the reason the girl's not going back is because her mom had been alienating this girl from her dad. And now that the girl has seen the light, she's 13, refuses to see mom, completely, totally ridiculous. What is, and, I, and again, I, I talked about the what the courts do. They identified a problem. What did the court do? They immediately, within a week, appointed a reunification therapist. So- the, the court uses every opportunity. And why? Because that's how, you, how all of these people make a lot of money. Nobody's actually trying to solve problems. The, the problem they're trying to solve is a billing problem. So in other words, as soon as this therapist comes on, they'll bill as much as possible. And they'll probably try to find a way to, to get somebody else appointed. And so what I see with the tra- – it's definitely coming. So the the issue will we're going to be way too politically correct to ever say something like because the parent is trans that makes them a bad parent or because the parent is encouraging transitioning that makes them a bad parent. the The most notorious case is out of Texas, the younger case, and you can look that up. Yeah, yeah, exactly what happened? Uh, Mom was trying to transition the boy. That fact alone was never enough. So it'll be too politically correct to do that. The second thing is that the courts will use the trans issue like they use all issues as a problem to be solved. And the solution will always be the appointment of all of these court professionals. It's a racket. I believe it's a racket in the criminal sense. Uh, Law enforcement for now disagrees with me, but uh, these courts are going to use this as a money making endeavor These kids will be screwed up that that case in Kane County, they issued a temporary order and said, we'll all come back in July and revisit this. Two kids are thinking about transitioning. One of them is uh, has tried to commit suicide, but we won't do anything for a month or so. And we'll come back and hopefully everyone will be all right.
1: Uh, we're yeah. talking, we're talking, we're talking with Michael Volpe, michaelvolpe.substack.com. Very thorough, uh, substack. Lots of there, there in terms of research and, and, um, and I'm looking at one of the posts, uh, that we're referring to. It's got the pleadings from the case in, in California and all, um, and some of the documents that are at the, at the heart of this. Um, Michael, when you say that the trans issue, so, when the trans is coming, this and I believe you, I, I see it, you know, it's going to come into this field, too. And and they never stop pushing, it seems, on the left. Is it um, is this a feminist thing? I mean, one of the critiques of the family court was it just became sort of rabidly anti dad, anti man Um mm-hmm. And and no. and you, you, I mean, I, I'm overstating that. But the people that have taught me a lot about it, and Phyllis is one of them, said, you know, the preference for mom, which it, it, there's something about that that sounds right, and and even probably honorable and all. But when it's only when it's not just a preference, it's a sort of um, detriment to the detriment of the dad or the man. It, go, it goes too far. And um, what's who's doing the tra- who's pushing the trans in here? How does it help the movement? Is your, your point is it's a money making venture?
2: Right. I, number one, I've actually found that it's women who are screwed more, but that's in part- Oh, because, really? Yeah, but that's in part because I the most I did was a story about a woman named Sandra Grazini-Ruck, who I've talked about before, and she's a female domestic violence victim. So it's just sort of a marketing thing. Primarily female domestic violence victims find me. But as far as the transition, I don't know if anybody is, I don't know who's pushing the kids to be trans, but more and more kids are going to be trans. The other thing is, the emotional tearing apart when, you're, when your parents split will probably make that more prevalent. But mm. the, the court, I don't think the courts will use this to be ideological. I think the courts will use this to be corrupt. They'll be like, oh, my God, the kids are thinking about being trans. Well, this is very, very difficult. What do we want to do? Let's appoint someone. Mm. And that's what the courts will want to do. They'll never say just because you're pushing the trans issue, that is in itself you're a, you're a less fit parent – They'll muddy the waters, bring in an, at least one court appointee, probably more. That, that younger case, and people don't talk about this, I don't know how many people they had appointed, but I think Appearance a Garden at Lightham, and several other people could try to fix the issue. Uh, the courts will use this in a corrupt way because they use everything in a corrupt way.
1: It's um, uh, Michael Volpe, and this is uh, that's one of the things about it is it's simpler. You don't have to be ideological. You can go simpler to there's money, and there's power and influence, and it's ongoing, right? Some of these situations are set up in such a way that you'll get counseling will go on for years, and uh, everybody is uh, enriched, and some people may believe the rhetoric of why and how it fits together, but it's a big, big uh, business at at its heart. I guess that's one of the takeaways that I've learned uh, through looking at your stuff.
2: Absolutely. Multi billion dollar. Let's go back to that Kane County case. You got two kids, right. both thinking about transitioning. One of them has recently tried to commit suicide. You have a garden at litem and two therapists on the case already. They've clearly screwed it up. How come the answer is to appoint one more person? Is it because right. they're trying to fix the issue? Is it they're trying to maximize the amount of money being made by the maximum number of people. Of course, it's the latter. They're going to use this like they use everything to enrich as many people as possible.
1: Yeah. All right. Michael Volpe, thank you. I'm sorry we're out of time. Michael Volpe, we'll have you back on. Keep after me, Michael. You always have important stuff to talk about, and we will uh, do it again. And I'll put it up over on social media. Again, it's Michael Volpe, V-O-L-P-E, michaelvolpe.substack.com. Important stuff over there. Thank you, Michael. Thank you for having me. All right. We'll take a break, everybody. I'll put it all up on social media over there. We'll uh, be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back! Welcome back, Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Time to check in with Woody Woodrum. Woody Woodrum is a uh, one of the leaders in California in the Republican Party. Uh, maybe I'd say it better in the conservative California Republican Party. There's lots of uh, Republicans out there that may or may not be really conservatives, but Woody Woodrum comes out of background, a background of businessman uh, and an uh, engineer type, uh, and uh, Navy uh, veteran, submariner, and uh, has been the organizer out in California. I, boy, Woody, I was thinking of it the other day as as long as I've known you, maybe 10 years, it's been like seven or eight different efforts. So whether it's the California Screaming Eagles, which is one of our Phyllis Schlafly Eagles efforts, it's that uh, you organize the, the different things for the Republican Party, uh, the state party. And then, of course, Trump, your great success in 2016 in assisting Trump with literally hundreds of thousands of, of contacts with voters across the country. Uh, it's just been extraordinary. So, Woody Woodrum, welcome back to the program. And uh, my reason to call you is we need an update on the state of California Politics in this campaign season, a lot of people dissatisfied with the direction of the country. And yet uh, Gavin Newsom won, you know, and, and it seems like the usual players are all on a skate path. Uh, what's going on out there?
3: You know, they call this the, land, the the left coast for a reason, and uh, it is just absolutely crazy. And, Ed, thank you for having me on. But, you know, it, there's a lot of craziness going on out here in California. You know, there, there is light at the end of the tunnel. You know, I'm not just saying that for no reasons. Uh, you know, the, the recent elections, I, I got to blame some of that on the Republican Party. And, and it's just there's been a lot of voter apathy and stuff. Uh, and I'll go over some of that in a couple of minutes. But, you know, you saw what happened up in San Francisco with the uh, DA. Up there, that 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 uh, crazy person that wanted to let the criminals go and uh, slap them on the wrist and uh, uh, d- didn't care about the people or anything, got recalled. And now there's a there's a huge effort going on in Los Angeles to recall the DA in Los Angeles. And uh, these things are coming through because people are getting frustrated. We're seeing this across the board. You know, I don't care if you're if you're black, if you're white, if you're yellow, if you're brown, if you're green, purple, or orange. Uh, you know, people are frustrated here in California. Our gas prices keep going up. The food prices keep going up. The schools are just going crazy with what they're trying to teach our children. And everything and people are getting frustrated. Uh, but you know, here's here's a couple of things that with the recent primary that we had in June, uh, and they haven't finished the the vote count yet. There's still about uh, 400,000 votes uh, somewhere around there that that uh, ballots have not been counted. Uh, so, and there's a couple of these races that are still kind of close. But you know. If you look at California, we've got uh, 12 executive offices. None of them are held by Republicans. We've got two US senators, right? None of them are held by Republicans. We got 53 congressional which is going to 52, uh and only we only hold 11 of those seats or 20, you know, just a little over 20%. California Senate, there's 40 uh senate seats and and our Senate they run uh, alternate years. Uh, it's a four-year term so they run alternate years, but we only hold nine of those. Uh, as Republicans and uh, and then in the the assembly uh there's eighty state assembly seats we hold nineteen of those, so hmm. about twenty three percent so that's a total of hundred and eighty seven statewide and federal offices in the state of California, and the Republicans hold thirty nine now unfortunately, not all of those Republicans are conservatives i mean that's one of the problems that we're seeing so we hope we hold about 21% of the of the total votes and uh you know so that's why i say california is a left coast and we're working on that you know and this is one of the things that just really Made me crazy. I was looking at this, you know, several years ago. We went to a top two primary, what they call. Yeah, the yeah, primary. yeah. I hate
1: those things. I don't like them at all. I think they're a terrible uh, idea.
3: Well, to give you an idea of that, uh, we've got uh, we had two special elections in in our in our uh, uh, primary, and Republicans didn't win any of them. And of the of the uh, eighty state assembly seats, there's twenty one of them that have no Republicans running. Hmm and of the of the state uh, senate seats, there's five of them that have no Republicans running, and of the congressional seats, there's seven of them that have no Republicans running. This is a failure of the establishment Republican party in the state of california and i've been i've you know I've started vocalizing this to some of the groups that I speak to and everything you know the 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 grassroots are getting fed up uh and I'm seeing I'm seeing uh, one of the things that I'm seeing with the grassroots, a lot of the people are leaving the state. Uh, they're they're getting out from under these crazy taxes and this crazy government. And people are just they don't know what to do. You know, we we tell them you have to look at the candidates. You have to see who the candidates are and you have to go out and voice your opinion. But people are just so frustrated that what I'm afraid we're going to see in the general election that come November is that there's going to be a low voter turnout for that as well. Uh, we had about a uh, I don't know, I think it was around a twenty or twenty two percent turnout uh, for the for the primary, and I'm expecting the general will be about the same. Uh, we're talking. We're talking with Woody Woodrum.
1: Woody Woodrum is the uh, is the founder of the California Screaming Eagles, among other organizations. Um, and uh, Woody, um, what about local races? I mean, you just described what you know. As I often tell people, if there's 40 million people living in California, and and you know, two thirds are liberal, which seems like that's how they vote. It means that a third are not, and that's that's you know, that's g- close to 10 million people. I mean, it's more than 10 million people. If I'm you know, I'm not a math major, but you know, so. But my point here is that. Um, there's lots of people in pockets, as you described. Is there a movement to do some of the stuff that we've heard a lot about, like school boards, where people are like, you know what, I'm just going to I'm going to uh, you know, demand that there be a different uh, set of people? And are you seeing some of that now in like down by you in San Diego and southern, you know, far southern California, there already were some conservative. There were are pockets of conservatism in school boards and, and county councils. But are you seeing that uh, uh, tick up?
3: Yeah <laughs> Well, yes, we are, Ed. And that's one of the things that is some of the groups I work with across the state that we've been that we've been focusing on is the school boards. We've got to start at these lower levels. I mean, you know, we get people that come out and they say, I want to be a congressman. I want to be a U.S. senator. And they have absolutely no creds behind them. I mean, they're nice people. They're great people. They got some good ideas. But but voters, you know, quite honestly, they look at them and uh, they say, well, what's your experience level? And they're looking for somebody that has experience level that wants to run for governor or something like that like that uh so we've been we've been focusing a lot on school boards and uh uh, state you know local instead of the state offices we're we're trying to focus more at the community level uh we've got a great race here with a with a lady named amy Reichart who is running uh against one of the most liberal county supervisors that we've ever had and she is a totally grassroots and she has done a great job over the past several years she's been uh uh, she's been a proponent of uh, uh uh, you know, not va- not causing people to be vaccinated against their will. Of uh, are the masks really helpful? I mean, she's not a no masker or no vaxxer or anything like that. But she's just got some really good common sense. And I've been telling people in San Diego County, this is probably the most important race in San Diego County. Mm, wow. You know, so we've had her uh, we've had her at a couple of meetings. She has been going around uh, getting out all over the place. She's been in the local news and uh, she has got groups that are going down to the supervisors meeting. And this is what's really great about this. They're going down to the local supervisors meeting, not one or two or three or four of them, but 50, 75, 100, 150 people. Uh, she holds route. She's been holding some rallies that have, uh, you know, some of these rallies have had several thousand people at them. Because people are tired, you know, they're, they're sick and tired of the things that's going on at the local level, much less at the state level. It's bad enough at the state. But this is one of the things that we've been focusing on for the past couple of years. You've got to take it over back over at the local level and build up a, you know, you have to build up a bench. It's like, you know, if you're going to play baseball Chances are you're not going to start out in the majors, right? You know, right, so, exactly. You know, yep. you're, you're going to have to start out. You know, you're going to have to start out in a little league. You know, and mm-hmm, work right. your way up in a little league uh, through AAA and and end up into the uh, up into the major leagues. Right. And and this is a you know. I look at politics, I tell people that it's a, uh, you know, it's like, it's like a sports game, yep. you know, it, it, it's something that you, you've got, you've got goals to reach and you've got touchdowns to make, you've got runs to make, you've got, you know, hits and errors. And there's a, there's a scorekeeping to this. And if you understand the, the, the process, uh, you know, you understand that you, you're not going to start out and go right into the majors probably. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, no, that's exactly right. 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 Except-
1: yeah unless you 're well speaking of exceptional uh donald trump woody today a I, I was I, let me see if this works for you. Back in 15 and 16, there were a lot of people and you were not one of them. You were the one of the ones that was saying Donald Trump both can win and will win like Phyllis Schlafly. But lots of people were saying things like, oh, he's too divisive. He's not really conservative. He's not really a politician. He's not going to be able to do this. We shouldn't be. And now it's like a replay. People are saying, oh, he's divisive and some people don't like him and maybe he's too rough and his, his positions are. So, uh, first of all, is Donald Trump uh, the nominee if he runs for president as a Republican? I think he is. No uh, matter what, no matter what, no matter what, like you don't get, you don't have to say fever.
3: I, you know, I think that he is. I, you know, I've looked at some of the people that he's aligning himself with and everything, and I probably wouldn't do it. But I understand the reason that he is. But, you know, this is one of the things you, when I talk to people and say, well, I don't like his tweets. I said, well, do you like his policies? Mm-hmm. do you do you like that we you know that we were uh, energy independent do you like that we were slowing down the 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 people at the board? you know there's a lot of problems with uh, you know people here in california with uh, with the open borders and everything in Arizona and Texas, uh, you know, all across the Southwest. uh, Did you like that policy? Did you like the policies that we had with foreign governments? Did you like the fact that, that he didn't start a war? Uh, Did, did you like the fact that he, you know, that, I mean, look at, if you look at uh, when Biden has gone, you know, has gone out recently to some of the uh, military bases Mm -hmm. and, And you look at when uh, Trump went out to the military bases or when Biden went to see some police officers or when Trump went to see the police officers, where was the reaction at? Right, right, right. People gyrate towards that. And, you know, quite honestly, Ed, sometimes if you're a leader, you're going to say things that upset people, but they say the truth. I would much rather somebody says something in, let's say, a crass way that, that maybe I don't like the language so much. But that mm-hmm. they're telling me the truth. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm tired of this stuff. Well, we don't really have a fuel shortage. It's Putin's, uh, it's Putin's uh, war that's causing this. We don't really have a food shortage. It's Putin's war that's causing this. We don't really have a problem with getting, uh, with getting chips and stuff like that from overseas. The, the, the logistics delays that are that are caused is caused by somebody else. They're caused by everybody. Yeah. And as the leader of the free world, we I want somebody that's going to stand up and, by gosh, lead. I don't see that happening now.
1: It is. I think you're right. It's a good assessment, um, exactly. Um, all right. Uh, I got to run. Uh, Woody Woodrum, uh, one of the leaders down there in San Diego. Woody, how can people get to you? What's the best way for them to get to you if they want to get more involved with you, with what your work you're doing?
3: Well, you know, the best way right now would be through my personal email. It's uh-huh. Woody. 453, W-O-O-D-Y-F-O-R-5-3 at yahoo.com. Uh, I, I was recently hacked, and uh, I'm having some problems with my website and everything. Oh, so boy. Okay. That, yeah, that would be the w- best way to get in touch with me right now.
1: Okay, very good. Woody Woodrum, everybody. Thanks, Woody, as always, for your insight and for your hard work. We will, uh, I will put up on social media. Uh, I actually was looking up as we we're talking as some of the, he's describing these local candidates. I'll make sure to put that up on social media and a uh, very important uh, time uh, to get these local candidates running with some energy, especially, as I said earlier in the in the program, uh, a lot of us are frustrated. We see the National Republicans act like ninnies, especially on guns and everything else. So uh, good to hear about these um, grassroots ones. So, all right, everybody, we'll take a- quick break we'll be right back it's ed martin here on the pro america report back
0: in a moment this is the phyllis schlafly report a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro family legacy of phyllis schlafly now the president of phyllis schlafly eagles ed martin as the midterm elections fast approach democrats
1: have lost a key demographic that they relied on in 2020 college educated men the biggest defection from the democrat party since the last election has been from this group amid an overall decline since inauguration of 19 points in support of Biden by those under age 35. The Democrats' playbook for attracting voters is to toss them some handouts. So it's no coincidence that, six months before Election Day, President Biden is working on a plan to give potential supporters upwards of $500 billion. A half a trillion dollars is a lot of money, even by today's standards, of sending truckloads of new cash to almost anyone who asks for it. Inflation is soaring to levels not seen in 40 years. Student debt tops $1.7 trillion, as racked up by nearly 13% of the population due to overpriced higher education. Even House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has said that congressional approval is required before this debt is forgiven, which would be a burden for all Americans. Yet Biden plans to bypass Congress and instead transfer these dollars to his potential supporters through the Department of Education. The Democrat Party wants to claim credit for this on the eve of the election, even though there's not enough support for such measures to pass the Democrat-controlled Congress. Biden told reporters that he has rejected waiving as much as $50,000 per student in loans, which would be more than the average student debt of $37,000. Biden will instead try to buy millions of votes with a waiver of $10,000 per student. 8% of this debt is already in default, and it's not dischargeable in bankruptcy due to the federal legislation that Joe Biden supported in 2005. Changing the bankruptcy laws for those who are truly bankrupted by student debt would make far more sense than simply waiving debt obligations across the board. The most sensible solution of all would be for the Biden administration to stop issuing government-backed loans of tens of thousands of dollars to teenagers altogether. Why are we trying to bail out our sinking boat before we stop the leak? First, we must address the root of the problem. Then we can talk about the rest.
0: This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Do you have a college-bound son or daughter? Do you care about the next generation? At phyllisschlafly.com, we expose the liberal agenda and anti-Christian mindset found on most college campuses and help equip conservative students to stand up for their beliefs visit us at phyllisschlafly.com and join us again next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report.
1: welcome back welcome back ed martin here on the pro america report and hey let's finish up i want to do a brief appreciation i was actually working on this before uh the decision came down in dobbs but it's worth uh, noting in dobbs uh uh his comments but my uh, my appreciation is for justice clarence thomas excuse me who this week celebrated his birthday uh clarence thomas of course has been on the supreme court uh he's now the most senior member on the u.s supreme court uh and after Uh, Of course, Chief Justice Roberts, because the chief always is the senior, is considered the senior uh, by the rules of the court. So the senior uh, non-chief justice uh, is um, Clarence Thomas. And so when he is in the majority unless the chief is in the majority, Clarence Thomas gets to write the decisions if he wants or to assign them to someone else. And uh, so his birthday was this week. He, he, on, uh, he was born on June 23rd, 1948. Um, so he is now what 74. Is that right? 74 math, right? 74 years young. Um, pretty extraordinary how young he is, uh, to realize that he is, um, uh, in good health and 74, he can go another 10, 15 years. I mean, certainly most of the time you'll see another 10, maybe, six to ten anyway here's my appreciation he's never changed i mean he didn't get to the supreme court and suddenly become different he's the same kind of uh intense writing he's the same kind of straightforwardness um he is historic he wrote the decision earlier this week on the new york uh, gun case basically reasserting the second amendment and um being clear about that he wrote that but he didn't write the Dobbs case on on Roe v. Wade, reversing Roe v. Wade. I have said it's because he thought uh, Alito could write it well. And, and uh, actually, I thought maybe he was deflecting some of the attention. But now that I've read his dissent, Clarence Thomas, if he wrote the majority opinion in the Dobbs case, he would have went further. And so what you're seeing actually out in the community, by the way, you're seeing the headlines are not about the ruling because a dissent means nothing except an argument from one of the justices. It doesn't mean anything more significant than that. It's dicta, they call it It doesn't mean anything. But the headlines are all about Thomas, because in Thomas's dissent, not dissent is concurrence in his concurring sort of uh, uh discussion. He says, I would go further. Substantive due process has been used to create all kinds of silly things. I would go further. I would look at this case is not about that. But I would go ahead and look at Oberkfeld because you used it to make up a definition of marriage that didn't exist in the Constitution. And so he goes on. He, he's fearless. So as he celebrates his birthday and he's an iconic person, iconic American, African-American from abject poverty, came up through the ranks, clearly, incredibly bright, clearly incre- an incredible writer. He has an intensity of his vision, his thought that's phenomenal. And then, you know, isn't it a Benjamin Franklin line? Longevity matters. His longevity is a big deal. He, he's around for a long time on a lot of historic stuff. So happy birthday to Clarence Thomas. And um, we appreciate you. I think he's extraordinary. And you should too. learn more about this great American man. All right, we got to run everybody. Have a great weekend. I hope you have a peaceful weekend. I hope there's more peace and not violence. We'll see. Uh, thank you to Noah Dingley, our great producer, Joanna Spielberg, our associate producer, and we'll be back next week. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Talk to you
0: then. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego.